her goodwill was recognized by probably the person in the room who had the greatest reason to take offense. And yet that woman did not, but in, but returned, returned her goodwill with goodwill of her own. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At The Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at The Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us for our 50th episode of Village Squarecast, which is coming out right in the middle of our 15th year of programming at the Village Square. So we have a lot to celebrate today, and we brought some friends along to join in the fun. Today, we'll be looking back on the wild ride of the past 15 years of bringing people together who don't look or think alike to discuss the thorniest issues of our time while actually having fun. You'll hear about moments that made us laugh or cry, moments that inspired, and other behind-the-scenes stories that demonstrate how our unique model of bridging divisions works. While we're doing all this celebrating, this is the perfect time for a really big announcement. Drum roll. Village Squarecast just this week joined the Democracy Group Podcast Network. We are so excited to be the newest addition to this fantastic group of podcasts who are all committed to examining what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. This is awesome news for you, too, because you can subscribe to the Democracy Group to get a sampling of episodes from the other trusted shows in this network, or you can subscribe to the shows individually. Head on over to democracygroup.org shows to check it out. And while you're online, check out our partner in this podcast series, Florida Humanities. You can find them at floridahumanities.org. We are so very thankful to Florida Humanities. All right, back to the program. This celebration of 15 years and 50 episodes of building trust across color, creed, and ideology is packed with practical bridge building tips that you can use in your own relationships. And hopefully this little chat will also provide some inspiration for doing just that as you hear how this journey has transformed relationships in the lives of our guests. Joining us today are Bill Maddox and Javita Woodrich, two of our dearest friends who've helped shape what we do here at the Village Square. You may recognize those names, and in just a minute you'll recognize their voices, because they facilitate on the regular. They're also members and board members of the Village Square, but mostly They're just regular people who discovered the Village Square a long time ago and have been sucked in ever since because they're so passionate about what we do. Of course, we also have our founder and president, Liz Joyner, here with us today because, well, there would be no Village Square without Liz, and so there's no 15-year celebration without her either. I've come to realize that Liz is like a celebrity in the bridge building world. She's known all over the country as a sort of pioneer in the space because of how she saw a desperate need for this type of work a long time ago, and she did something about it. Liz delights in sharing what we've learned over 15 years with the rest of the nation. As for me, my role here is groupie, number one fan. I'm in awe of these people, and I just want to soak up everything they say. All right, let's bring in Bill Maddox, Jovita Woodrich, and Liz Joyner. Thank you all so much for doing this. You guys are amazing. Thank you, Vanessa. All right. In order just to sort of have a little fun with this, I prepared a few little rapid fire questions just to kind of break the ice. Are you guys ready? Yes. Get ready. All right. Mac or PC? Mac. PC. 
PC. Really? I didn't know this. I don't know. Like liberal and conservative is one thing, but I'm not sure. I can pass this one. All right. Footloose or the Matrix? Footloose. Footloose. I love Kenny Loggins so much. And for the trifecta, Footloose. Mainly because I figure that that we're kind of trying to get out of the matrix at the village, <laughs> out of the matrix and into Footloose. And and Footloose has who as its lead actor? Kevin Bacon. Six and degrees. that's really kind of what we do. You know? We are a Kevin Bacon six degrees or less, really. <laughs> yeah. Organization. That was nice, though. Like you guys are amazing. I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, getting a little more serious when it comes to facilitating the, a Village Square event, which all of you have done many times. Would you rather? Uh, would you rather actually be a facilitator or be in the audience? I want to answer for Bill. Ooh, uh, good because I don't have a good answer. It, his answer is going to be in the audience because he is so humble about saying yes to my multiple invitations for him to facilitate no no they've heard enough from me <laughs> get someone else why don't you get Vita? sounds just like you Liz <laughs> I does. well and I'll say too about that is that the next time you see Bill after he's been in the audience the things he says are so profound that you're frustrated that he wasn't the facilitator it's completely true <laughs> and uh, you're right Vita and almost always he asks some question from the audience that is just so thoughtful and well-constructed and what we call crisscrossy, right? He's, he's, you know, asking something that actually changes the way that you see something. So you're exactly right. You say, oh, wow, Bill should have facilitated. <laughs> That's great. Well, I would love to answer on behalf of Liz and it's the exact same answer as you gave for Bill. <laughs> I keep saying, I want to hear more Liz. I want to hear more Liz. And she's like, they, they hear me all the time. It, it is true. That's how I feel. And I love to facilitate. That is just the energy. And it really is like a child excitement versus a, I would like to be in front of people. It is a, you know, always disbelief, but then absolutely, I can't wait to be able to, to do it. So we have a nice mix. For me, I'll, I'll say that it's a lot like when my wife and I are out and there's dancing taking place. And, and a song comes on and it's like, yeah, I'm not, I don't think I can dance to that. But then there are topics that arise that it's like, oh, I've got to get up and do that one. And so usually when you hear me say, I'm not feeling it, it's because I don't want to go and make a fool of myself the way I do sure. invariably on the dance floor, even when I get out there. <laughs> But there are times when a topic will come around that it's like, I really got to do that one if I can. And I should note, there have been a few times when I think Bill has said no, that I have somehow convinced him otherwise. <laughs> That's great. And a great analogy. All right. Now, the last two I have for you, quick yes or no answers. Is there such thing as too much agreement? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. And last, do pigs fly? <laughs> We've seen it. Literally. All right. No, I mean, figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong word. All right. Thank you guys for indulging me. Let's move on. So we're going to kind of go down memory lane here a little bit and talk about some of the behind the scenes moments, some of the joy and the challenges that have led to all these great programs that the rest of us get to enjoy. But one thing that I don't know about you guys really is how did you get connected to the Village Square in the first place, Bill and Vita? Vita, do you want to go first? Yeah, I was in uh, graduate school for social work, uh, social policy and administration. And I think I had a friend who was familiar. Um, and then I started in grad school with volunteering. So I was helping with food, picking up plates you know, and then getting to sit down without paying, uh, asterisk, hello, the, the grad school and the working in, re in restaurant. And I just could not believe what I was hearing. I had no idea that the kind of gap that I would feel and perceive in my perspective could be filled. I didn't know where I could possibly have gotten that. 
So to sit in the back, it was a thrill to drop forks and spoons (laughs) and say, I apologize that you weren't finished with your last Brussels sprout. I will put your plate back down. But (laughs) those were my beginnings. Beautiful. And in my case, I had uh, lived in Washington, D.C. for about 25 years and had just grown so tired of the Mm -hmm. rancor and division. This was back in the aughts, I mean, 15 plus years ago that I moved away and said, I just can't. I got to get away from all this politics and all the rancor. So I moved here to Tallahassee. Soon after I get here, I pick up a newspaper, local newspaper, and there's an article by Kathleen Parker, national columnist that referenced the village square and spoke of it in very intriguing terms about how it was, you know, seeking to kind of bridge division and all the rest. And soon thereafter, I was at a performance of at Young Actors Theater where my boys were doing theater. And I recognized uh, Liz Joyner, you know, who was behind this whole enterprise called the village square. And I approached her and, um, Kind of, I guess the rest in some sense is history. But the thing that I should note about that is that for some curious reason, many of the people who have been involved with the Village Square over the years have had some connection to the world of theater. And I don't know if that means anything, if there's some some significance to empathy or putting yourself <laughs> in other people's shoes or playing different roles or I don't know what. But Or for liking some... jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> But at any rate, that's how I first got introduced. That's great. And it comes full circle. You just recently uh, helped facilitate a program at Young Actors Theater, right? This season? Yeah. In fact, that was the second one mm-hmm. that both were uh, works that had civil rights themes. And we were able to do uh, panel discussions prior to both of the performances where we brought uh, some civil rights heroes from our local community here and did interviews with them. And yeah, those, by the way, would be topics that when I heard the music play said, I've got to dance to that. Let me moderate Mm -hmm. if you would. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, Liz has been very accommodating on those because I just love those stories and I love the people and interviewing them uh, for that. That's great. I love it. You know, one of the reasons why we asked you, Bill and Vita, to come on is, as Liz said, you guys have helped imagine, construct, and deliver programming. You guys are everywhere. We appreciate you being here. And I think it just shows like, you know, you kind of got got hooked in and the rest is history, as they say, but we're going to go through some of that history. So let's talk about, can you give me a most inspiring moment that you've had at the Village Square? Well, for me, the probably the single moment that was most inspiring was a day when we were at our Faith Food Friday God Squad uh, program that brings together people from different faith traditions to talk about different topics. And in the course of that day's discussion, I don't even remember what the topic was, uh, Rabbi Romberg made reference to the fact that uh, the local school superintendent and, and school board seemed to be un- uh, sympathetic to the concerns of many of his uh, the students in his congregation who um, needed to have accommodation during the high holy days. And after he finished, there was this crotchety old Southern Baptist deacon uh, in the audience who had become friends with Rabbi Romberg uh, through the course of this program. And he stood up and he said, Rabbi, I'm going to organize a letter writing campaign to let the school superintendent know that people beyond your congregation are concerned about this and would like to see accommodation. And he did. And sure enough, the school board soon thereafter began recognizing the high holy days and making accommodations for these Jewish students. And I just thought, you know, this is part of what makes this whole thing so wonderful is that problems that can be solved with unlikely people sometimes uh, through the friendships that are built um, get solved. And that was something that, you know, we didn't set out to make happen. No one sat in a room and said, hey, let's figure out a way to address this policy issue in our local community. It was really just a kind of organic, spontaneous thing that arose because of a deep friendship and and a mutual respect between two very unlikely people. 
That's amazing. That's what it's all about, right? And uh, it reminds me of um, somebody just commented, somebody who doesn't know us at all because they saw something we put out on social media about the God Squad, and they wrote in a comment something about how they're an atheist and maybe wouldn't be welcomed here. And no, the response is, no, we have lots of atheists that come and they love it. And there's some great participants, right? Because there's room in this conversation for everyone. And that's the whole point. So that's really great. I love it. Actually, a group of atheists has come for years and years. And one of my little favorite moments at the God Squad is just seeing uh, some of them talking with our God Squad members who've become, you know, really good friends over the years. It's it's really just a beautiful opportunity. And, and so many of the moments I think that are inspiring really come from seeing what happens when you draw people together who aren't hanging out in this particular environment. And then you see you and you see what happens and you understand the importance of, you know, creating those relationships and being open to those relationships. And what, one of my moments came fairly early on when we did, I think the program was called a pastor, a, a pastor, a priest, and an imam walk into a bar. And these very nice people let me Photoshop them outside a picture of a British pub <laughs> for the poster. So we invited a number of people from the Muslim community uh, to make sure that they had the experience of, you know, having this conversation with us. And we have um, a buffet dinner that we provide as part of, you know, the invitation. And um, they sort of came in together and there were maybe, you know, 15 Muslim people coming in, all bearing these beautiful bowls and plates of food. And it, it, it really just made me realize what an important moment we were in. And so we cleared off the table and made a space and people who had already gotten their food came back for some of the food that our wonderful guest brought with them. And it, it was just really beautiful. That's amazing. I think we're, we're hungry for moments like that. And they change us, right? Those moments change us. Yeah. And it's hard to make them happen by ourselves. You know, that's yeah. what I think is so amazing here about what you've done. Um, I certainly don't know how to just create that. So I appreciate what you guys have created. I think this would be a really great moment to um, talk to you, Liz, real fast about one of your aha moments. I asked you guys to think about what an aha moment might be through all of this. And so you talked about one particular story about how it helped really define your approach. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, actually, Bill was involved in this marginally as well. We were going to have a program on immigration really before the town halls started getting rough and there was violence related to immigration. This was what year was this, Bill? Oh, gosh, probably six, eight years ago. I mean, it's been quite a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I think it was when when um, the, with the rise of the Tea Parties is about when this happened. And that was really the only program that when we got closer to it, we started thinking maybe we need to have a plainclothes police officer here because there was violence everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't, by the way, and it worked out fine. And it worked out fine, I think, because of this. So Jack Romberg, Rabbi Romberg, uh, was going to facilitate this conversation and his opinion on immigration leans to the left. And so we started there and we thought we've got to find somebody who is who has a pre-existing relationship with Rabbi Romberg who disagrees with him completely on this. And and we thought that that that, that isn't always what we do um, because sometimes it's impossible. Right. But this time we thought it was especially important because we were going to have to handle this event with, you know, 150 people in the room and make sure that we all had a constructive conversation without anything escalating. So we had him think through people he knew, and lo and behold, he um, went to his fantasy baseball league, which Bill is actually a member of now. <laughs> I think were, were you then? You might not have been. I don't know that I was. Yeah. I, I think it was before the, my my joining. And he had, um, because uh, Senator Rubio had been a senator here in Florida, his general counsel, Len Collins, had been in a in the fantasy baseball league with the rabbi 
and still was. And so we knew then that when we had two people who disagreed completely, but hung out with fantasy baseball, that we were in good shape. Unless, you know, maybe a, a, a controversial trade came up. <laughs> conversation. So from there, we were able to build a panel that was just, it was beautiful and it was amazing. It was informative and we learned so much and we had so many different opinions there for that evening. But it, it, it's those relationships of respect, the, the human to human, I know you and I know that your intentions are good and we can disagree now that are the key to all of this and, and the thing that we have to come back around to. And, and now we teach this model and that's almost always an example we use, although we've used that strategy so many times now, it really is how we build panels. And with that too, we're not having deep conversations every time we interact with people. You know, I think, you know, again, talking about kids and so on, none of that, it doesn't mean that all of that moves into some sort of hard discussion where we need to try to, you know, remind ourselves of our foundational relationship with one another. You know, you might have those conversations twice, or you may just know about it. And, and you don't have some sort of significant conversation with somebody else. And so what Liz is saying about just the human component, something can happen on the news. And that doesn't mean there's an obligation for you to have this discussion and see how you and your friend handle it. <laughs> so the human part is that the, you know, day-to-day things going on where, again, that connection is there, that camaraderie, that you know, familial almost way of just continuing forward, um, which does not mean that we are plowing through, pushing through every issue, everything, all, you know, every time you get together for Sunday dinner. And that is, I think, really important as well to, to see. Almost to the contrary in, in many ways. That a large part of what we're doing together is um, having a good time and enjoying each other's company. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, I I wonder, Bill, if you could say a word about carom shots, because I think they're important. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've learned is that a lot of times when you approach a concern or a topic, that sometimes if you take it on in a head on through the front door kind of fashion, that you're more likely to have people retreat into their Mm. tribal trenches and start lobbing grenades back and forth. And that sometimes you can have a more constructive conversation if you find a way to enter through the back door in a way that is a little bit uh, uh, unrelated or, or surprising to people, or to have them interact with one another in some common project that isn't about the underlying problem, but that helps build trust in a way that then leads to making it easier for problems to be solved. And so in a lot of ways, yeah, I, I liken this in some ways to how in billiards, especially with like bumper pool, uh, which I played a lot when I was a kid, that you um, sometimes have straight shots at the pocket, but very often have to take a carom shot where you bounce something, either one ball off another or a ball off the side cushion so that you can uh, end up in the pocket. And however we get there is fine. We'll take the front door approach, the straight shot, but oftentimes the carom shot proves to be more effective. And that's, as far as I know, that's a complete Bill Maddoxism. I've never heard anyone (laughs) describe it that way, but I use it all the time now. And in fact, I teach it. And one of the things I've learned is that is that really data and science says that when conflicts get really extreme and really difficult, and and I think that we are, you know, it certainly seems like our conflict is escalating across political division. uh, You are actually get better results by taking the carom shot. And, And in fact, leading into the Good Friday Accords in Northern Ireland, um, they were actually intentional about n- not specifically continuing to address uh, the the differences and the conflict, but rather they would do things together, uh, like they would build a community center, they would string Christmas lights, 
and that uh, there there's really science that supports that notion that that you know by knowing people face to face by standing beside them by doing something together that it really changes the nature of the conflict brilliant all right let's let's lighten things up a little bit what about moments that have made you guys laugh along the way? One of my favorite things about these programs is how there is laughter. And I would like to say, Bill, sometimes, I mean, you not sometimes, excuse me, always you have me laughing and you're laughing. Like you have a way of just like asking questions while you're chuckling and it's beautiful and I, I love it. And I have to plug in real fast and say, one of my favorite moments from let friendship redeem the Republic is when uh, Liz was there with her friend, Jacob. And he described this moment where he was at a conference and he walked into a breakout session that Liz was, that Liz was hosting or whatever. And he said there was, it was on civility, you know, and, and he walks in and there's laughter in the room. Everybody's just laughing and having a great time. And he's like, wait a minute, this is about civility. Like it's, a, it's kind of a heavy topic. Like, why are we laughing? And so, I, I love that. And it really does set the stage for how, how you guys make this kind of something different. So with that, Bill, how do you keep us laughing? And what, what's made you laugh along the way? So I do. I do. I mean, obviously, these are serious conversations. And we don't want things to go too juvenile or too sophomoric so that you can't then have a serious conversation. But I do think it's really important to have a lighter spirit to the occasion. And so one of the things that I've long appreciated about Liz is that she takes great care to, for one thing, there's always food or or drink or both at these gatherings because that kind of brings people together. And there's something about kind of breaking bread together and sharing a meal that I think is unifying. But I also think that she not only kind of looks at this as an opportunity to just simply serve food to satisfy your dietary needs, but she really approaches her work like that of a hostess putting on a dinner party. And at a good dinner party, there's, you know, great conversation, interesting people, often lots of laughter. And so it only seems to me to fit the occasion for us to interject humor, you know, where it's appropriate and where, so yeah, I will often look for such opportunities. And so, I mean, usually the people themselves will make it easy for us. I remember, and I need you to mm-hmm. li- tell this story, Liz, but I, she, had, Liz asked me to moderate this really interesting um, discussion that we once had between a Catholic priest and the um, head of our local LGBT theater. That's a, um, a yeah. very kind of mm-hmm. avant-garde sort of theater. So two people you could not have imagined being kind of any more different. And Liz and I went with the two of them to do like a coffee in advance, you know, several weeks in advance, just to kind of help help everyone get to know one another and feel comfortable with what was going on. And when they first gathered, pick up the story at this point, Liz, because I want you to tell about the common ground that they found over a particular color. I, it's weird because we, uh, Terry invited us to tour her theater before we met. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Which was, and, you know, and she told us about, you know, her hit, the history with the theater, her hopes and dreams. So it was just like this wonderful humanizing moment. And then we walked across the street to grab a cup of coffee. And, you know, I think you and I knew that both of them were incredible people who had a great sense of humor and so interesting and warm and open to others. And so we hoped that it would go well. And at some point in time, you know, I don't know, they were talking about, we were talking about differences and how they saw things differently. And Terry piped up, Hey, I know what we have in common. We wear a lot of black. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and so we were all just laughing together. And, and that whole pre-meeting, we laughed together. It, it just started then and it kept going. And one of the things I learned from uh, John Hyde is that that's actually called muscular bonding, that we humans really do bond in moments of laughter or singing together or jumping up and down when our team is, you know, um, doing well in a game and that those are actually really important human moments for us. And I love both of those humans. And by the way, we, we need to pop up the picture of uh, father, Tim and Terry into the show notes now that we've Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yes, yes. Epic. I love that. Um, and so I love how you started that bill with just the kind of environment that that you're going for here when you create these events. And it reminds me of the language that Village Square uses. And that's one of my favorite things too, from program titles to how, you know, there's the village, there's the story on the website that I, you know, could just sit down and read over and over because it's amazing. But there's this like really clever language that that you use when you're talking about really serious topics and it just makes it fun. So program titles, that's one of the things. So, so actually Bill is my secret weapon friendship for resolving program title ideas. Amazing number of programs through the years. He has just distilled it down into the perfect title. Look, um, all of this that you're talking about, Vanessa, uh, the, the language, the description of our story and all that. This is Liz. Liz is, I mean, it's genius. It's this just is so good to say. No, me. no, no, no. I mean, it, there is so much about our brand that is found in that language. It is so key because so much of what we're trying to do is to invite people to an environment that they may be wary of that we want them to see is welcoming. And again, this comes back to this whole kind of dinner party, convivial sort of gathering. And that language that Liz uses both in titles and in descriptions of conversations, descriptions of our story, it's serious, it's weighty, it's, you know, there's some meat there, but it's but it's presented in such an inviting way. And so, yeah, she's 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 genius. I get to sometimes, yeah, help review topics or ideas and uh, offer feedback and input, but she's the real genius behind it all. So I'm looking at uh, the some of the posters behind me to remember names of programs. Actually, one of them up there is Seven Deadly Sins. I'm pretty sure that we came up with that particular title we thought were there. It's not necessarily welcoming, but like who isn't going to come to a program that's called <laughs> Deadly Sins? <laughs> right. And, uh, As I'm going back for my fourth dessert on the gluttony part. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, we we definitely are irreverent in how we title things. We try to capture the importance of the topic at the same time as we try to be a little bit different because, you know, uh, one of my theories is that eat your broccoli civics, unfortunately, in the age of, of the internet is dead. You know, you've, you've got to give people a reason to spend their valuable free time to hang out mm-hmm. with you. And so it needs to be interesting. We had a group naming one time that turned out to be the name of the program was Fears, like the bar Cheers. It's written out like Cheers in the same font ish, where not everyone shares your pain. And we we were in a room full of people and we were trying to decide what to do with this particular topic. And believe it or not, we ended up making it that we set the stage up like a bar. And the moderator was the bartender and had a fierce t-shirt on. And when we introduced people, we, you know, did a little video of them and then they came, came, you know, into the bar, like they would at, at cheers. And it really basically just sat at the bar and talked. And we really did that. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even believe it. I still have all the props from, she, she actually brought some alcohol with her, like her little bartending kit. One of the. Yes. So yeah, we've done all sorts of things. So fun. That's amazing. All right. Now that we're having so much fun, let me go to something a little bit more serious. Um, Liz, I would love it if you would tell us, are you comfortable telling us about a moment at the Village Square that made you cry? There, there have been many of them. Um, some have made me cry in frustration, so I'm going to pass on those. <laughs> um, but but most of the times that I've, the moments that have brought tears to my eyes have been just incredible human moments, like at the God Squad. I really believe that anyone who was there for this particular program, we were talking about racism and a black pastor who has been a member of the God Squad since the very beginning, Pastor Derek McGee, started talking about uh, having the conversation with his son about race. And and about, you know, driving and, and Derek, I just, I don't think that there's ever been a moment like that where 
you were, you fully understand where he was. And I, I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time finding words because there really were none. And we had, you know, a packed house of people. You could hear a pin drop as Derek told the most human aspects of his fear for his son. And we've got, you know, this amazing picture of someone coming up to Derek afterwards. Um, and, and it's funny too, because we, something happened with that audio and we couldn't ever find it. And we kept telling people about that incredible moment with Derek and, and we couldn't find the audio. And I, I think maybe that's the way it ought to be. Mm-hmm. It was a very human personal moment that we shared that day. And, um, and I won't ever be the same after it. I won't ever think about race related issues without thinking about Derek that day. Wow. It says a lot about just the whole concept of perspective, you know, that it's so hard for us to consider what it's like for somebody else. And so just to be able to have that moment, I think is remarkable. And that is, you know, I've laughed on so many episodes, but there's only a few couple, I can think of two where I cried. And one was also about race and it was a similar moment. It was an early episode right in the uh, aftermath of George Floyd. We had the local color listen in and it was a unique one where it wasn't aired to the public first on Zoom. Um, it was just, uh, we put it up on the podcast only and because it was an intimate conversation between just a few people. and actually. Also, it's the only one where we haven't used people's real names because we weren't sure whether you know they were going to want to. We we want them to feel a bit more comfortable, and so having a fun name like Sunshine, for example, um, allowed people just to probably speak a little bit more freely. And there was a woman during that program that talked about how she uh, she had these moments of thinking about the tragedy as a mother. Um, as a black woman, and it was just I can't even I can't even do it justice. So you'll have to go listen to that. It was a local color listening, but it was kind of that same moment for me where you just don't get to hear that. I don't get to hear that in my life, you know. And I, I feel sad for that. I wish that we had more of those moments, but I I feel you, and I and I also agree. It's interesting that that audio from Derek is not around. One thing I'll note also about uh, that whole incident is that part of, I suspect, why that moment was so powerful is because of who Derek is and how he is viewed by folks in our community and how broad his uh, following, if you will, is. And this, in my mind, speaks to the importance of that crisscrossy thing that we do where we often look for people who don't fit neatly into categorical boxes. And so in in Derek's case, he's a black minister who uh, by day works in um, public policy, has worked for the governor, a a Republican, um, and has, I believe, is a registered Republican himself. And so he's someone that, um, again, kind of crosses a lot of lines and boundaries and categories And I think for that reason, when he speaks on a topic like that, there are people who might listen to him and hear him and will feel like a particular point of view is being validated that they might not otherwise hear. And that's what we want to see happen is for the folks that we put on stage to be um, people that can offer unique and interesting insights that will be heard by broad groups of people and not just the usual suspects. And then Vanessa, there was one other one that when we did statues, I can't remember what that local color was called, but there was a woman, a middle-aged white woman who stood up and just, you could tell there was this genuine, I don't understand, or I don't know from her and her, it really was coming from a place of humility, but she asked whether this was something that has always been a problem and didn't really understand, you know, why this was something we were talking about now. And what was it about um, kind of, why, why was the intensity there? She said a few other things. And then this lovely, equally lovely Black woman stood up. They were about the same age. 
and shared with her about um, some of her experiences, you know, and talked about how much she loved to read and that when she was younger, she they only got these second, third, fourth hand books with pages missing and, you know, just how hard it was for her, even just, you know, just in education as a little girl to be exposed, to, to have to deal with this and that she was so excited when she went to the um, Congressional Library, I'm not sure, in D.C., and they let her in, you know, and she got, she stayed for hours just reading and talk, you know, getting a chance to just absorb what she wanted. And I I apologize because the kicker there, I can't remember that specific connection, but the idea was this woman had no idea that this was really just a struggle and it represented something to people. It might've been the name of the high school, something like that. And those two women afterwards embraced for probably 15 seconds, which is a really long hug. And then they sat, they sat down and talked for a while um, and they both had tears in their eyes. And I just heard the woman say, I am so sorry. And she said, you don't have to be sorry, but I'm so glad to meet you. And I just went in the bathroom and had like a heavy, ugly cry as well there because I, that's my spiritual gift is crying. So, but I can walk through that with you guys. And that's, you know, pretty indescribable. I think it's indescribable what you offered to other people. I agree. And repeatedly and all the time and right now. Thank you, Vita. I'm so glad she told that story because I think the exchange between those two older women was really powerful. And the thing that I loved about it was how in one sense, I guess you could say naive, but in another sense, almost innocent, the older white woman was in kind of first. Exactly. And, and, and there was a part of me that was like, looking at it thinking, gosh, I'm surprised that you're unaware, but I'm also of these sorts of things. Not that I'm you know, somehow uh, greatly enlightened. But the thing that I look back and love about that is just that she thought like this was a place where she could come and kind of ask a question without fearing condemnation. And that in and that her goodwill was recognized by probably the person in the room who had the greatest reason to take offense. And yet that w- woman did not. But in but right. returned returned her goodwill with goodwill of her own. And that I think is part of what happens at these gatherings. I didn't think I could even love the village square more. And I do. I'm like y'all's number one fan to close this out. What has this endeavor meant to you? Bill. Oh gosh. So like I said, I, I stumbled upon the uh, village square soon after leaving DC determined to get as far away from politics as I possibly could. And when I read about it and then met Liz and started going to these, I was like, why am I doing this? I don't want to participate, but I couldn't resist because um, these were the kind of constructive conversations that I had longed for with people who um, were serious about trying to understand, not necessarily agree. We don't always, don't often really kind of in the evenings with a kumbaya session where we all smoke from the peace pipe and say, don't we all agree here? Isn't it great? No, we still have our differences, but you come away with a greater understanding of others and a greater appreciation of others. And the thing that I love about it is just that I've become a real localist and I just love my city and I love my neighbors. And I find that the village square facilitates that in a big way. And I remember just the other day I was outside watering the grass and some flowers and stuff. And uh, a couple of women who I know only because of the village square, they don't live in our neighborhood. They live nearby and had walked over into our neighborhood and were going to the park and they stopped and talked for a long time. And we compared notes about all kinds of village square programs and other things that we knew about each other only because of the village square. And I went back inside. My wife was like, hey, who was that? And I was like, and she, and before I could even answer, she was like, oh, I know. Probably some of your village square friends. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it was just kind of a reminder to me about how 
there are deep personal friendships. I mean, you, uh, uh, Liz mentioned that I got invited into this fantasy baseball league uh, after a while because of my friendship with Rabbi Romberg and just how wonderful some of the f- close friendships that I've developed with people like Rabbi Romberg over the years through Village Square. But I'm also thankful for that second concentric circle out of relationships that I have that are people who I wouldn't consider dear friends or mm-hmm. people I hang out with. But people who I regard as neighbors who are of goodwill that I enjoy seeing in the grocery store or bumping into at the football game or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. because we have this common bond where we, we might actually belong, quite often do belong to different political or religious tribes or other groupings, but we share this common bond because we're like, we're village square people. And that means that we care about our city. We care about our community and we're working here to build goodwill. And I just can't say enough about how much I appreciate what Liz and others um, around her have done here because it has greatly enriched my life. That's beautiful. And see, Liz, civics is not dead. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right, Vita, anything to add there? What has this endeavor meant to you? Oh, I mean, the, you know, I have kind of on the deepest, most foundational level, it's really helped to refine so many components of my faith, reconcile different things about life and who I am and, you know, what I believe about people and how to live it out and really just being in sync, so in sync with the core way to to enter into these kinds of relationships. You know, there's just such a practicality there, such an intellectual stimulation there, such an emotional connection, the spiritual for me as well. So just on a very core kind of level, there's that. And then, as I mentioned before, the kinds of conversations that I am able to have, that I am equipped to have as a result of these dinners and programs and personal conversations with um, folks around Village Square, around the village, and reading these books, I talk to people in this way that is inviting to them, I've learned to, where I really can engage. I will share the um, those five prongs of morality by John Haidt. I'll share, you know, an analogy from Liz about something. I will now share about the carom shot, you know, but those kinds of things are not common knowledge to folks. So when you give a metaphor or you give a thought that can help them also kind of, I'm a big Transformers fan, you know, but just kind of have that kind of beginning to shift and not because I need to change their mind, but for us to be able to be thoughtful together and almost be sort of more on a journey than on ex- than exchanging information. Like we're building our relationship. It's just amazing to be able to invite people into conversation in a way that I probably would not have been able to before. And to be able to offer insight and thoughts. And here's a word we need to start to come up with. I, I think that there's a village squarean version of devil's advocate, right? Because I feel like I'm able to provide a perspective, even if I don't know the other side of an issue that somebody's talking to me about. The kind of questions that I ask, again, those metaphors or referencing authors or paraphrasing, those things are what allows us to have the conversation. And so with my liberal friends, I always have an extra pull to the conservative side if we're talking. And a lot of it usually is me, if I agree even, saying, you know, and then, but it makes sense to me why this would be the case, right? On both sides, I'll do that. I've just learned how to have conversation in ways that are, I mean, if it's Marvel Comics movies, I know how to have those conversations. But, you know, these, it's natural because I've been doing this, part of this for so long. And Liz and all of these authors, these individuals we have who come, they're modeling it for me as well. Um, And I've been eager to absorb those things. And I just get to have these really fulfilling conversations in my life uh, that are hard and sometimes easy because of 
you know, what I'm learning and what I'm exposed to, in addition to what it's doing in our community and our nation, which is extraordinary. I love every bit of that. And and I can identify too, I've had those moments. I had a, an interesting one around the pandemic stuff where in a circle of people that I hang out with, there was kind of one who was not approaching the pandemic like the rest. Right. And there was all this you know, the group's doing one thing, this one person is doing a different thing and kind of a buildup of a year of, you know, feeling defensive and judgmental and all this kind of stuff. And I found myself recently representing that person's voice and just kind of saying, I think she might feel judged. (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. she might feel, you know, this and that. And the response by multiple people back to me was, Huh, I never considered yeah, that. Exactly. I never exactly. looked at it that way. And I exactly. thought that was peculiar. I was like, oh, <laughs> and I had to reflect back on, oh yeah, all this learning I've been doing has <laughs> been helped me get to where I can put myself outside of me and think about what it must be like to be her. That's exactly it. And that, huh, I've never thought about it. And not because you want to be catch someone or because you're trying to, you know, it really is just a joy to have those moments with people. Right. Absolutely. Liz, do you have something to bring us home? Uh, Well, uh, I don't know if it'll bring us home, but as you all are talking, it made me think of one of my favorite quotes. And I do think it's very village squarish. It's written by John O'Donohue, walking in the pastures of wonder. One of the most exciting and energetic forms of thought is the question. I always think that the question is like a lantern. It illuminates new landscapes and new areas as it moves. That's it. I would like that sent to me, please. Will do. So well said. I'm trying to train myself, Liz. I've heard you talk about questions, the importance of questions before, and I'm really, really working hard to ask more questions and listen more rather than just start talking. So. And they're really so easy, but I don't think they come as naturally to us in this particular time. It's like we're ready to like, you know, pitch our argument instead of just ask them more about theirs. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Y'all are amazing. I appreciate you. I love you all. This is great. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much. Love you back. Thanks. See you guys. All right, Squarecasters, I hope you enjoy this chat and maybe you even heard something that will help you with bridge building work in your own life. You certainly heard enough from me today, so I'm going to let you go with just a couple quick announcements. If we left you intrigued by this whole Village Square thing, check us out online and sign up for our newsletter, which is the best way to stay up to date with everything happening at the Village Square. Just go to villagesquare.us and scroll to the bottom where the little email box is. We'd like to again say thank you to Florida Humanities for partnering with us to present this podcast series. And thanks to you for being part of this journey with us and for joining us in celebrating 15 years and 50 episodes of building trust across color, creed, and ideology. Until next time. We challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.